0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well, wherever you may be. Today we hear from Jeffrey Hirsch, president and chief executive of STARS and president of original programming, Christina Davis, about how the US premium cable net has responded to the COVID-19 pandemic and transitioned to VOD with inclusivity at the heart of its boardroom and the stories it tells on screen. Jeffrey Hirsch is President and Chief Executive of STARS, responsible for shaping the US premium cable net's overall business and programming strategy and overseeing the evolution and expansion of its STARS Play SVOD service around the world. He joined the Lionsgate-owned company in 2015, was promoted to Chief Operating Officer in 2016 and then elevated to Chief Executive last year. Earlier this year, he hired CBS head of drama series development Christina Davis to work alongside him as president of Original Programming. As part of C21's Content London On Demand, the virtual version of our annual international TV conference this year taking place online, they spoke to Michael Picard about the changing television landscape, how STARS has responded to the COVID-19 pandemic and is positioning itself as a distinct destination for both audiences and creatives, putting inclusivity at the heart of its boardroom and the stories it tells on screen.
1: Jeffrey and Christina, uh, thank you for taking part in this year's Content London On Demand. It's great to have you join us for the event. I guess it's it's been an interesting year for the industry as a whole, but not least for both of you. Jeffrey, you took on your role as, as President and CEO sort of about 12 months ago. Christina, you joined in the middle of the pandemic, but Jeffrey, perhaps you couldn't have predicted the events that you would have had to face um, at the start of this year. How has it been for you both in terms of keeping the the network going, in terms of um, your development and your programming pipeline? Uh,
2: Well, thanks for having us here virtually. I'm happy to be here. Unfortunately, unhappy not to be in London, since it's one of my favorite cities and we're doing a lot of production there right now. So I was excited to come visit, but unfortunately, we're here. So, uh, you know, look, it's been an interesting time, I think, for everybody in the industry. I don't think anybody could have ever predicted that it would be this kind of massive disruption on top of what we've already seen as a a massive disruption in the business. Uh, But I think, you know, as the stay-at-home order has progressed and continued around the world, uh, it's been good for our business uh, because people are home looking for content. And we've had the fortunate say that we produce a year in advance. And so most of our content at some point was in post-production when the pandemic hit. And so we launched four new pieces of content over the last six months uh, and people have found it. So we've seen great adoption of the Stars app around the world. You know, viewership in Europe. is up 33 to 40 percent, depending on the country. Domestically in the U.S., it's the same. Uh, and so we, we've benefited, I think, from people looking for fresh content and having that content on the
1: air. Christina, I mean, coming you know from CBS, I guess, in the, in the middle of this, what was your kind of approach to just selling into the job and, and getting started?
3: Oh, my gosh. I mean, this has been one for the memoir <laughs> later later in my in my career. It's been so wonderful to walk into a company and I'm like, I have the benefit. Benefit of walking into a place that has a commitment to adult female content and diversity and that 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 commitment is real, you know, and, and that for me has been so wonderful, the content that's been in the pipeline, it's in the queue, it's in the development and and what we've been buying. You know, we've been buying in the last five months. It's it's a, like a commitment to real diverse voices, unique voices. Whether it's High Town, P Valley, we've got other things that are about to be announced, and we're excited about. But it's, I mean, look, I. I <laughs> I came up twenty years through a queue of like, really, you know it was it was hard. It was hard to get hard to get this kind of content made. And now I'm walking into a place. Where the commitment is real, and so I'm just I'm happy to be here.
1: Do you think Stars then on that note is a kind of an, an outlier? Um, you know, someone pushing for that change, or do you find the industry is slowly moving towards those stories and and those creators that we're seeing now? Uh, you know, coming through to the on the Stars platform and the channel.
3: I think it's it is happening. It is happening. Like we see it across the board, but I think that I think what Jeff has has made a commitment to is to make it happen at Stars, and and I think that's why people. People want to come here? That's why, like a lot of creators, a lot of showrunners, a lot of actors. You know, we we're we're about to announce, you know, a, a big a big project with with some big talent that you would never think would be on stars. You know, they they all they sort of want to be here because we are telling the stories that matter. Yeah, you
2: know, this this really started, I think, eight years ago with Chris. We looked at the business and said, how are we to differentiate ourselves in a world where you know people are spending eight $10, $13 billion on content. And we made a real conscious decision to really put, you know, underserved fresh voices not only on the screen, but behind the screen. And I think that's continued into the boardroom. You see, we've had somebody as established and as is, is senior and as wonderful as Christina wanting to join the company and, and take on this charge. And so it's been our DNA for a long time. I think with everything going on in the world, all these other companies are scrambling to kind of catch up to where we've been. But, you know, 65% of our showrunners and our, our show leadership are diverse voices and female diverse voices and that's unparalleled in the business and we didn't just decide to do that yesterday we've been doing this for a long time the data shows it's women that's driving our business globally and we'll continue to lean into that because it's the right thing to do for the business
1: and so if if you took a broad look at you know the the u.s i guess specifically the cable market landscape in the u.s i mean where do you see stars kind of sitting and you know how are you kind of looking at those others in your in your orbit and and comparing yourselves to each other it's a great
2: question I, i get that from wall street all the time i get the questions how can you compete with netflix when they're spending 13 billion And the answer is we don't, right? If you think about how the business is shaping up globally, you've got these large companies that are trying to be what I like to call basic streamers or broad-based packages where they have something for everybody in the home, whether it's kids, whether it's documentaries, whether it's series, whether it's news, sports. You've got the Peacocks, the Netflixes, the Amazons, the Hulus, soon to be Star outside the US. And they're really trying to be that first spot in the home. We've never tried to be that. And we never will try to be that. We've always been this non-ad-supported adult very authentic very story rich you know content engine that sits on top of that broad-based services and so as the business unfolds I think there's going to be three tiers of services there's this first tier which is those basic streamers competing with the skies of the world competing with the cables of the world competing with the satellites of the world we're not going to compete with those but we'll sit on top of those and so as we are all over the world today we're sold on top of Amazon as we are in the US we're sold on top of Hulu in the UK we're sold on top of Disney Plus today and so So that's the position. We're we're happy to be the number two, three, or four S-bot in the home around the world. And if we're the number three S-bot in the home around the world, that's a great place for stars to live.
0: Does
1: that limit your ambitions then in terms of your reach around the world and and the kind of programming and talent that you can attract if you're gonna be the number two, three, four streamer in someone's home, how does that affect the kind of programming you can make and and the money you can spend and and you know the knock on effect from that?
2: Well, to answer those in the reverse order and I'll let Christina jump in at the end, you know, that means we because we don't have, you know, as many shows and the mass of others, we have to be much more bespoke, we have to be much more careful about what we pick, and we have to actually work with our creators on a much deeper level to make sure that the content that we're putting on the air is successful. We are a data rich company now, so that helps us in terms of keeping shows and storylines within what we know in terms of the audience we have. But I, you know, because we're not trying to be a family-based service, it gives us an opportunity to grab content around the world that nobody else is looking at. So we bought two shows out of Spain right now. One is about the loosely based on the life of Nacho Vida, who's the biggest porn star in the history of Spain. You know, When I sat with the bamboo guys to buy it, they were actually trying to sell me on it which was new because usually domestically we're, tra- we're begging people to bring historically stuff from HBO to stars. And what they said to me is you're the only one in the market who wants adults, authentic, true storytelling versus kind of broadbush family fair. And so we, because of our programming strategy and our focus and the adult nature of our content, we've been able to get content that others wanted that, you know, or didn't want because they just, it doesn't fit their programming strategy. I'll let Christina jump in on that.
3: I'll just say it, it is again, uh, li- it's liberating. <laughs> Being at Stars because it is a boutique, and it's it's a, it's about curating, and it's about bringing in creators who have a unique story to tell, and l- we let them tell it.
1: And so, I mean, are there a couple of shows then from this year, maybe, that you would say define the current kind of programming strategy in terms of working with particular showrunners or genres or the type of programming that we're going to see more coming from Stars? What is the kind of strategy that you're working on? And I guess the fact that you know COVID aside, how are you you know, progressing that?
3: So we picked up uh, season two of Hightown season two of P-Valley, Katori Hall, who is like wholly unique and we're so proud. And then we've got things in the pipeline. We've got Becoming Elizabeth. We've got Dangerous Liaisons. We've got a lot of things coming out of the UK, which is great. You yeah, know, We're re- really proud of, of doing a lot of the production there. We have a, a show coming out of a movie called Blind Spotting, which it's sort of the sequel to the movie and very social, very timely... Dave Diggs, you know, we're 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 working with. And then we've got a big big thing coming out of New York, run the world which is this sort of comedy half hour. You know,
2: what's changed, I think, from when I started at Stars five years ago is we're now probably the third largest global Spod company in terms of footprint. So we're in 50 countries around the world, only probably Netflix and Amazon and maybe Disney are bigger than us right now in terms of footprint. And so our content strategy has to, we do domestically, has to work around the world. So I'm really excited about Girlfriend Experience, which we just wrapped principal photography in London, because originally Soderbergh wanted to shoot a show that was shot in Seattle with a domestic point of view. And Stephen and I sat down and said, you know, look, we're in a global footprint now. Let's try to change the narrative, do something in Europe that's kind of a global show that we can put on everywhere in the world, but is really kind of a global show versus a domestic show that we then export all over the world world what we loved about the shows that we bought in spain and Latam is that we think we can put them on in those other markets as well so we'll have the show uh, the national vl show on in the u.s in london in Latam, and vice versa and so we're really looking to either tell stories that are global in nature that work for the footprint but also work domestically and i think that's been a big content strategy shift for
1: us is there something that ties all those shows together that makes them a stars show or are you looking just to curate you know like you say these adult dramas that have certain themes and a the visual style maybe, or what is it that is the star's through point through these series? You know, it's it's it's
2: very simple, right? We are trying to program a network that is, you know, premium content that really serves the female audience, mm-hmm. you know, and whether it's P Valley, which is, you know, if you look at it on, the, on the, the log line, it's African-American strippers in the South, right? But it's shot through their gaze, their point of view, it's their story, and it's not the typical what you think it would be. Same thing with the, all the power spinoffs that we have same thing with girlfriend experience, right? It's, if you think about it on, on the log line, you're like, okay, it's a typical, you know, an escort show, but it's not, it's through the eyes of the GFE, and it's her story and it's her in control of the narrative. And I think that's what makes stars unique across the world is that we're really putting for the most part, most of our shows have female leads are directed and show run by women, right? Managed by women. And then most of the building, 70% of my direct reports are female. And so it's a network that's catered for women by women, right? by women and that's kind of our point of view and that's the through line throughout all of our shows is if it doesn't work for a female audience we're not going to put it on
1: there and i guess you know but behind the scenes when you're putting the deals for these shows together how are those deals changing are you Still looking for co-productions, maybe with the BBC as you've done in the past in the UK, or are you because you're now? Um, we'll talk about the global uh, side in a minute. But as you're now thinking more globally, are you doing this on your own to kind of retain rights, and you know how are those deals changing for these shows? You know, each of our deals
2: is unique and different. I think we see a piece of content. Christina sees a piece of content we like, depending on the auspices of the show, the level of the talent in the show, the writer. We'll do different kinds of deals all over the place. We have done. We've done co-productions, as you said out of the UK, all over the place, a lot. We'll continue to do those. I think we'll look to do some co-pros out of Germany as well. We've got in Spain, these are co-pros that we signed. Um, So, you know, it's for us, it's about the flexibility of getting the content. We'll make the deals work, you know, any way we need to.
1: And just, you know, picking back up on, um, you know, COVID and, and the impact of the pandemic that we're seeing as shows get back into production how is that affecting the shows that you are now filming are, are budgets going up by 15 20 percent as other people have described are you having to have longer shoots what are, what has been the knock-on effect that you've seen and, and how do you expect that to kind of continue well like i said
2: you know we've got seven shows in production right now uh, one we just wrapped photography on in the uk we worked very early on we tried to put the business back into production in june so we were i think way ahead of the industry in terms of putting protocols together our protocols are working we're probably seeing somewhere between six and 8% increase in cost. It's more of a nuisance, I think, than it is anything else just because of the amount of testing. And, you know, I think there's been some benefits from this. But, you know, the safety of the cast and the crew are the most important thing and it's the most important for them. And so people are following the protocols and we're getting the work done. And, you know, we're girlfriend experience in London is not a COVID friendly show to shoot because of the nature of the content. We have a show in Atlanta right now that's a wrestling show that we're shooting uh, that, again, not easy based on the nature of the content, but we've got a phenomenal show showrunner Michael Malley who's really been working around the clock to crossboard stuff and move it around so that if we have any interruptions, there's something to shoot. So we're not delayed. But it's it's different. I think there's a lot more eyes on production on a daily basis because you're just waiting, you know, to get an email saying there was a test last night and, you know, and, and what is that? How do you scramble with your production team? But for the most part, we've got a great production team with Lionsgate that's been really driving our production. And fortunately for us, knock on wood, we really haven't had any delays at this
1: point. And as you've, you've mentioned a few times, you know, you're you're very much looking now towards the global marketplace with stars play around the world. How do you see stars in in the global industry now? And, and how are you hoping to increase that sort of share that you have of, of viewers around the world? Well, look, we've said
2: publicly we'd like to get to between 15 and 25 million global OTT subs by 2025. And we're right on track to get to that number. We're seeing, you know, phenomenal growth, you know, all over the world. We just premiered Ghosts which is the first power spinoff, and it went like gangbusters in the UK and in France and Brazil and Mexico. And so, you know, we hope that as we build the product out, we start to put more and more stars Originals on the network, and we start to really understand what the global programming strategy is. You know, right now, we are very specific in the US, but because we just started outside the US, we're more of this kind of best of global asphalt. So we have probably four of Hulu's best domestic shows on the service. We've got The Act, we've got The Great, we've got Killing Eve in Germany. So we're getting the best, the global spot, and as we get you know farther away from launch, we'll learn by market what the real programming strategy is there. We'll put local originals on. Uh, in the UK, we have the Lionsgate second half of the pay one, so we're testing how movies perform outside the US. In India, we are taking all the Lionsgate movies right to the service and see how that goes. So we're in kind of that early experimental phase, but we still think we have the best global spot on the service right now.
1: Do you imagine that programming? I guess it's a balance, isn't it? Because you'll be doing more of your own stuff, but then are you seeing other producers pull back their own stuff as they launch their own streamers? How are you balancing? I guess the the shifting demands of content and, and buyers and producers. You know,
2: it's a great question, and I know what everybody's saying in the marketplace. But you know, we've got four shows from Hulu. We've got two shows from from HBO Max. We have a couple of shows from Lionsgate. We have a ton of shows from Paramount and CBS. And so right now, we're we are not seeing people crawling back saying you know you can't have certainly the shows that we want we're getting great access to shows i think the sellers like having a great second buyer in the marketplace so that it's just not netflix gobbling up everything and setting economics but we we feel we're getting the content that we want and again we're not trying you know we're we have a very specific programming strategy so we're not trying to go out and buy broadcast reruns like in a syndication model these are got to be adult scripted you know great dramas that again feed the female audience so the great we have all everywhere outside the U.S., and it's performing really, really well. Uh, the stars Originals, you know, Spanish Princess, which is premiered globally day and date, it's performing really, really well. So we feel like we're getting all the access to the content we need, and, you know, we'd like to get more.
1: And I guess maybe for Christina, as you come to think about commissioning new series, I mean, how is the world, the global market, kind of playing into your thoughts about what might be a hit at home or overseas, or how, how do you kind of um, think about that when you're taking pictures or, or hearing or meeting potential showrunners for the network?
3: I mean, just... Being as open-minded as possible, it's it literally you know open to open for business. You know it is we we're meeting with every kind of creator, all all different types of people, and bringing in you know those those ideas. And you know it's it, it's kind of I think Jeff Jeff touched on it. You sort of know it when you see it. You know it's it's you don't really like there's no mandate to put out of like we want that kind of story.
2: I'll embarrass Christina here, but I think the best way to kind of characterize what we do and what we're looking for and this was in her interview process with me she said you know I've been making ham sandwiches for 20 years and I I really would like something else and you know there's never a day at stars that there's two ham sandwiches around the network.
1: so and I mean Christina you said there, you know you're creator friendly what what does that mean what what's it like to work with stars as a as a creator as a showrunner what what's that partnership that you like to build with them
3: oh gosh I mean it is it is it's what gets me up in the morning are you kidding like it's it Literally, it's a dialogue with a creator and there's no one size fits all right? It's like you literally create a dialogue with a, a person, you know, man, woman, whatever it is, and, and you figure out the story that they want to tell and you tell it. And that usually is what really kind of cuts through in the end. And it's so wonderful. It, it's such a wonderful experience and and I love it. And it's Jeff has been so, so wonderful in sort of letting me be able to create that with different people that have come through the door, you know, and again, I'm five months in, so <laughs> I'm still, I'm still learning. And by the way, all in COVID I have, I, I think I've spent 30 minutes with Jeff in person. <laughs> we, we literally, like I literally started this job in COVID uh, through zoom through whatever our, our video technology is, but all that to say, I've been able to really be able to connect with some wonderful creators and wonderful writers, directors, producers, Lots of people that really they want to be at stars. They want to be here, and that's that's I'm I'm like I'm so I'm so proud to be at a place that you know again it feels liberating.
2: Yeah, I think Christina and the team have done a really good job of creating a a certain atmosphere of trust. Where a story will come in, we like the story, and instead of you know overnoting people like some places do and trying to make it square peg round hole because we don't have you know advertisers to kind of worry about and subscription. We really allow the the creators to tell their story, and I think the feedback that we have back and forth is really just more of a you know a partnership in a sense, which is like a you know we thought about that or where does this go, and really push their their thinking around the story versus kind of trying to fit the story into a box. And I think that creates a really unique and special place that we for writers and showrunners and and creators. I
1: mean, tell us, um, you know, you mentioned P Valley a couple of times, and um, even from this side of the pond, you know, it's it's clearly captured the imagination, and it's been one of the talked about shows of the summer i would i would say i mean just tell us a bit about the development of that show and and working with katori hall the the showrunner who adapted her own play i mean how did you come across the 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 project and and you know develop it for the screen what was what was it that you know made it tick you think with audiences
3: look katori hall wrote a play over 10 years ago and put it on the stage and i think you know again it's a a past regime i think bought the script but it was years in the making. And so for me to walk into this place five months ago and it, it premiered on my, on my watch and I got to, you know, make a quote and take, <laughs> take credit for it. But really what I'm most proud of is developing a relationship with her into second season. I think that she created something wholly, wholly unique with a unique voice She knows these women. She speaks the language. She dances on the pole. (laughs) You know, she, she literally like has walked the walk. And, and that's why you feel it you feel it and and i i, I jeff you jump in but i've yet to see a bad review she you know this 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 show has just been wholly embraced by our our audience and by the critics and and really i think is a is a wonderful testament to again stars and the commitment to unique voice and diversity and you know finding a woman who has a story Story to tell. Yeah, like I think
2: it was, you know, I remember when the scripts came in reading all the scripts and it was, it was, it's so dense and so deep in character. I think everyone was like, oh my God, how, how does this translate from the page to the screen? And uh, Katori and some of our creative executives went out and did like a 14 minute kind of presentation of the, how it translates. And I think we all sat in a room and saw it and said, don't really know what this is, but this is unique and special and great. So let's go. And, you know, working with a couple other people, but specifically Katori, you had a, a very strong point of view. And what I love about Katori is she heard feedback and she heard notes, but she had a very strong point of view and she held to it. And she created something that's unique and special. And, you know, that's... Again, you know, we lucky, lucky it landed on our lap and lucky that we had some great creators who built a great relationship with her. And, you know, you see the results and we're, she's starting to write season two and I can't wait to read it because it's going to be spectacular.
1: And when you meet these showrunners and you take these pictures, I mean, what what kind of um, lead-in time are you looking for in terms of the the longevity of a show? Are you looking for the three, five season plan or do you just want to take that initial idea and, and, and see where it goes? You know, are you... Is Katori already talking about season four of, of P Valley or how do you like to work with them, you know, on these shows?
2: I'll let Christina do it from the content. I'll tell you from I'll tell you from the business point of view. Yeah.
3: I think creatively, you know, you have to go season by season. It's it's really hard to think longer plan. I think with Katori, we are we are definitely in the long haul with her. We definitely want to be in long season business with her for Bee Valley, but also in in future ideas that she has. I think that Katori is a a true creator and we believe in her in, in that way. I think that it, it is it, it, I mean it's hard <laughs> it's hard to think such long term and and even in the power universe I mean Jeff like you and I we, we've talked a lot about even with Courtney Kemp and with Curtis, 50 Cent, we are deep in the power universe and we are, we are three shows in to beyond the power show. And even then we are, we are, we're thinking beyond that, like we're building, but we are, you know, you kind of have to sort of take it script by script conversation by conversation like you got to make sure that the quality is there because if you overreach you, you sort of get out, out yeah, of so
2: you know from a business point of view we've got a lot of data that gives us pretty good insight into whether we think a show is going to survive well into season 2 3 and 4 we we know that season twos perform twos, 3 and 4 actually grow the base much bigger than season 1 so everything that we look at we have to believe we can get it to seasons 3, 4 and 5 others I think are canceling stuff after 2 seasons and churning shows the best thing that could be for us is they get a show that goes on the air like a power that gets to season six or an outlander that's you know going into season six because we continue to you know as we focus on these two core demos continuing to serve them with that content is really important and so you know when we look at limiteds there has to be very unique characteristics around the limited whether it's a timely story that really fits the programming strategy whether it's we think it's you know it has a huge cast that could really bring you know a different perspective to the brand for us but in terms of the, our you know core originals we'd like them to go as long as they have story and that's three four five six years i mean uh, i have a feeling as long as diana keeps writing books we're going to continue to have
1: outlets. i mean it just in terms of the business side are you also in the business of tying down deals with these creator- creators are you of trying to stockpile a a stable of top showrunners that you can call on or are you in the business of picking their best shows for the network as they come up and as you see fit you know that's a
2: great question and christina may have a different point of view than i do but you know lionsgate obviously as our owner uh, and parent company has been doing a lot of overall deals with showrunners specifically stuff for our shows and i think tori is a great example of of what we're trying to do there but i'm also a believer and based on what we're trying to do in terms of fresh and diverse voices that tying up a large sum of money to one creator you know who's had a lot of success I'd rather pay for future success versus past success and I just think you know when people think about that stuff the assumption is that content is a commodity and it's just not everybody has a different point of view has a different voice has a different perspective and you know we have a show in development um, right now that I it's the best script that I read all year and it's from somebody that no one's ever heard of and a very unique storyline and I think it will be a breakout hit we cast it correctly and I don't think we're going to have a problem casting it because it's so good but you know that came from somebody that nobody's heard of that we went searching for, and to me, that's what makes stars unique and special: is that we find these diverse, you know, voices that have never been on TV before, and let them create something unique and special, and then it translates to what you see with Katori. So, you know, and we, by the way, we did the same thing with Courtney Kemp. Right? I mean, people forget Power, you know, is really her first show as a showrunner six, seven years ago, uh, and she, same thing. She was where Katori was seven years ago, and we fostered that relationship and built the, you know, the second biggest show on premium television, only behind Game of Thrones and it's an urban show. So, uh, you know, I don't know, I I, I tend to look at this from a business point of view, which is you're tying up a lot of money on somebody and there's so many great voices out there. Why not, you know, hunt for those? Christina may have a different point of view because she's the greater person, but that's my (laughs) point of view.
3: (laughs) I' no I don't I don't have a different point of view I think that it's I mean there are people that you want to keep in your camp like Rebecca Cutter as on hightown so Lionsgate just signed a deal with Rebecca cutter and those those are the people that you you they they're fresh voices and so you want to sort of keep them invested in stars and and also creating new shows for stars
1: and, and, and just on the on the power renewals the the spin-offs the the universe I I guess, however, you want to call it, it's, I guess we've seen it in broadcast where you have different cities and, expanding universes and obviously on, on the big screen as well. So why was why was power something you wanted to try to apply that formula to, for want of a better word, and how are you going to make it successful?
2: Well, uh, go ahead. <laughs> I, I think Courtney's built a, a phenomenal tapestry of very, very bad characters that everybody loves, right? And that is, you know, we, we laugh, we, it's like the Marvel universe of characters, it's just everybody's bad, right? But there are so many rich characters that people want to know the backstory to or what happens to them that we felt we had this great kind of tree branches coming off the core business and so the first one that's going to come up after Ghost, uh, which again is kind of the straight line you know, next generic chapter with Michael Rainey and his son, is the prequel story to came the 50s character and what, and what it was, how did he become the person that he is, and it's this phenomenal story about a mother teaching his son how to be a gangster at 15 in 1990 in South Jamaica, Queens, before the Twin Towers came down and the birth of hip hop and music and clothing. I, mean, I said to Curtis the other day, he should license the old salt and pepper jacket because that's going to come back in a big way based on this show. But, you know, and that's, you know, people want to see that story and they want to know how Curtis eventually meets or Kanan eventually meets Tommy and Ghost and Angela and all those stories. And then, you know, Joe Secor's character Tommy is a huge fan favorite. And so, what happens to him? You know, we see what happens to Tariq. What happens? To, so, there's all these great storylines that you see, you know, socially from fans guessing that we've now created into this great universe. And to answer your question about how we're going to make them successful, we're not, right? Courtney's already made these characters so successful. And she has such a, you know, she's put together such a great business with such great showrunners underneath her now that, you know, I will tell you, Ghost is a phenomenal outsized hit. I mean, it's up 300% around the world. We were thrilled to have it in the UK because Power is one of the biggest shows on Netflix in the UK. And we're thrilled to get that back too. But I think canon will be as big as anything on TV just because of its uh, 90s look back in New York. And nobody's really done that yet in a drama sense. And Tommy's a fan favorite. And so I read all, you know, we read all the material. They're going to be hits, you know, and we know that because the audience is craving for them. And so our job now is to, you know, pour water and fertilizer on the creative team and just let them go.
1: And then on, a, on a, another note, where are the showrunners that you're going to bring in? How are you finding the showrunners that are going to be the the showrunners of the Next Star series?
3: I, again, I I have the benefit of walking into a company that believes in people, right? That there are they're, they're people that have become 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 showrunners and specifically women that have become showrunners that weren't, you know, and, and that they came in and they pitched a show and they had a vision and then you believed in them. Right. And so now I, I, I have the benefit of of coming into a a network where it's like, Oh, I can actually do that. Like that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I come from a place that was like, if you didn't smell the blood in the, (laughs) in the, in the water, like if you haven't been a showrunner for 20 years, like that's, that's done. That's done. We're done with that. Like we are believing in people. We believe in their vision. We believe in their stories Empower them. That's literally, like, we're, we're not looking for showrunners. We're looking for people, I think, that, that have stories to tell and that are, are stories that the star's audience wants to hear. We have a lot of great stuff in development. I mean, amazing stuff. I think very diverse content that you will see coming out in the next year two years um, yeah
2: i mean look that's been my biggest frustration with covid is that all this stuff that we've been trying to get on the air that we're it's been delayed and i'm i'm beyond excited about getting this stuff onto the network to bring it to the fans and yeah. you know i get in trouble with lauren because i don't remember what we've announced and not announced because I, I work <laughs> a year ahead of everything and i'm like talking about shows and she's like we haven't told anybody because like, know. You know? Yeah. there's there's such really great characters coming from whether it's period pieces around what i like to call our women of infamy which where Spanish princess, white queen, you know, whether it's, ro- you know, historical romances like Outlander. Christina talked about dangerous liaisons. It's a prequel. It's them at 18 falling in love in the slums of Paris and wrecking havoc on the French court. That show is going to be beautifully shot, very sexy, very romantic, very tumultuous. Uh, and I can't wait for that to get on air. Girlfriend Experience, uh, you know, I read the scripts over a year and a half ago in an afternoon and I've been dying to get this one on the air because I think it's as, as good as not better as the first season with Riley, which was obviously nominated for Golden Globe and this is you know has technology and it's global footprint and so I, I I think like Christina we're just dying we're itching to get this stuff on the air so that we can get, bring it to the base.
1: And I mean with your Lionsgate partnership I imagine that sort of helped you through the last sort of few months and, and having a big kind of boss there to to help you financially and, and logistically maybe is, is a big boon how do you see the next 12 months sort of shaping out for you but also for the industry at large I mean you know if you had a crystal ball what, what, what would it be telling you about how to run the business over the next 12 months well if I had a
2: crystal ball I would be retired <laughs> and you wouldn't talk I'd be in Florida playing golf right now <laughs> Um, with, a, with a mask on, but you know, look, I, I I think the business continues to accelerate change, and I think a non ad supported global SPOD service that's data driven is is a really great safe place to be. And you know, the the risk that we have for the business right now is execution risk. And I think we know if you uh, I think you've noticed in the last six months, uh, the the new trend seems to be reorganizing your company, right, and naming new people. And yesterday, CBS reorganized again. ITV reorganized. I think Monday or Friday last week and Disney reorganized again and you know I, I guess we don't get stock price bumped because we're not reorganizing but we did this four and a half years ago you know we we knew that we were going to have to transition the business from a linear domestic business to a global streaming company uh, and we've done that and so we feel good about that I think Lionsgate is our partners and our owners the TV group I mean you know Kevin has been there for 18 years and he's helmed some of the most network defining shows whether it's Mad Men on AMC or it's Nurse Jackie or Weeds and so we get the best benefit of having, you know, a secondary group hunting for content that maybe we're not seeing and we get to see everything that, that comes through that group before it goes outside the building and we can make a decision whether we want it or not. Uh, we have a great piece of content we haven't announced yet that came through the three arts partnership. Um, actually two with three arts in Lionsgate that we're really excited about. And so that's been a benefit for us. You know, and eventually, you know, the Lionsgate pay one deal globally will come up and we think we will obviously try to move that onto the service. But you know we we're also able to help shape some of that to of Slate, So it works for our fan base. So I think, you know, and then, you know, on top of that, and probably the most important thing is we're not in 50 countries outside the U.S. unless we have access to that Lionsgate library, of 17,000 titles. So I think the industrial logic for the deal from 2016 really holds and it's really benefited the company, even in this, you know, a disruptive business as it is now, uberly disruptive with the pandemic on top of it.
1: Right. And, and just, I mean, take us out with, you know, what, what's the one star show we should watch in 2021? What's uh, what's top of your list that we should watch next year?
3: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. There's so much that I'm excited about. I don't know that I could just pick one. I mean, again, <laughs> I, I think we, we do... Uh, we can point to the power universe. I think that uh, these, these uh, power shows are going to be great. They're going to be wonderful. Blind Spotting, I'm really excited about it. It's wholly unique. Run the World is going to be great. You know, like, I, and the, so there's so much that I'm excited about. I don't, I don't know what to say. And then there's stuff in development that like, like if we, it, as, as Jeff is saying, like, we're like literally, like trying to get these things up and going. There's so much great stuff coming, honestly. Really excited about it.
1: We'll watch this space. Well, uh, well that's great. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, thank you for being part of uh, Content London On Demand.
0: Jeffrey Hirsch and Christina Davis from STARS talking to Michael Picard. Remember, if you're a C21 Pro subscriber, you can watch the video version of that interview on our site right now as part of Content London On Demand. There'll be more from the event in the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments by following C21 Online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.